Mark chapter 9. Today we're talking about where humanity, where we find greatness. Think about all the different ways that people have sought to be great, maybe in their field or their career field or maybe on athletics or at some level, right? We even have this, this debate on who's the greatest of all time. Warren Moon, quarterback for the Houston Oilers, the greatest quarterback of all time, uh, perhaps. Some would say that other fella in Florida, um, who we don't mention his name here at RVC, um, he's sort of born with it, right? Competitiveness. We raised three boys. Um, my youngest boy and Nikki uh, is, are here today, traveled all the way from Georgia. So thank you for being here today, guys. Great to see but growing up, man, these kids, they would just compete all the time, whether it was like we had this big step in our pool and they would throw each other off and stuff like that. A couple concussions later, dad throwing stuff out in the backyard, all angry uh, and uh, riding bikes down a hill. I remember one of my kids just just clipped a, uh, like a, a bus sign because they're just, you know, and I'm in the back screaming like, like, stop trying to race each other. And boom, one of my kids clips a bus sign and flies out into the road. It was you know, just a, just, it's just sort of in us, whether that's you played King of the Hill, you know, as a kid or whatever it is, uh, you know, who can bench the most, who, you know, uh, can just, I guess, become great. It's just sort of in humanity, seeking to be great. So Jesus shows them how to actually uh, be great in the best way, in the kingdom of God, uses two illustrations to help them really understand that. Now, we're in a season of uh, the Gospel of Mark, a section of the Gospel of Mark, where his attention is no longer on the, uh, the, the crowds and the masses, per se. He's really diverting a lot of his attention to the disciples because he's preparing them for this moment where they will be his arms and his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece for the kingdom of God as they will be the ones to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he's spending a lot of time now, maybe a few months, four months away from when he goes to the cross and gives up his life for them as a ransom and for all of us. And so because of that, we read in verse 30 of chapter 9, it says, they went on from there, this is after he had just cast out a demon from a, uh, a distraught father's son earlier in chapter 9. It says, they went on from there and they passed through Galilee and he did not want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples. Again, this attention on building them up and raising them up and preparing them to be the ones to take the good news to the world. And it says that he was saying to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. And, there, and they came to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. Now he's taking the position of a rabbi, and he's going to teach them some kingdom truth. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me, speaking of the Father. 
Now, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he's bringing them, as we mentioned, they're heading towards Jerusalem, where he's going to uh, lay his life down. And he's been plainly teaching them. Earlier in the Gospel of Mark, he said that the Son of Man must be betrayed and delivered into the hands of men, and he'll die, and on the third day, he'll rise. He mentioned his resurrection uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter uh, and, and John and James. And now he says, he's going to die. I'm going to give my life. Uh, and as they're, you know, again, he's preparing them for the kind of character that's needed to carry out the mission in them and also in us, his church. And he's telling them, I'm going to lay my life down, the greatest sacrifice, the greatest servant that we've ever seen in this world. And as they're journeying, you know, I think they'd be grieved, which they were, like hearing that Jesus is going to die and that they were going to be left. He won't be with them anymore after he rises from the dead. They have this debate, and position clearly was important to them, and it caused strife in the group. This will cause a mess in a marriage, it'll cause a mess in a church, it'll cause a mess at, at, a, uh, you know, at your job, as people try to assert themselves and say, no, I want the position of greatness. Proverbs 13.10 says, by pride comes nothing but strife. And many people have sought greatness in our world, and certainly we've all felt that urge or desire to want to be seen as something important. And Christians obviously are susceptible to it, as we see here in the disciples' lives. They're grieved, but not enough to set aside this debate on who's the greatest. They know Jesus has been talking about his death. It was something they didn't understood. Uh, it showed that they had little understanding on his true mission. They thought that he was going to establish an earthly kingdom. That's their concept of the Messiah. That's why it would always take them by surprise and shock when they would hear that he came to lay his life down. And yet, they actually have this argument, who's going to be the greatest among them? It's when you look at this, you're just like, these are grown men, right? These are people who ha had, should have a, lift, a little enough of like reading the room. Our, our, our master, the one we're following, the Messiah, they already know he's the son of God and he's the Messiah, uh, that he's saying he's going to die, and then they're bickering, who's the greatest? Think about how just jacked up the human heart is to hear. Uh, Jesus is, you know, going to suffer and die give his life as a ransom, and they're like, Jesus, you go on a little ahead. You know what I mean? It's like the kid's getting farther in the back of the van or the suburban that you have, and you hear the whispering going on. Like, you know, what's going on? By the way, Jesus knows everything of the, the beginning from the end. He knows what you talk about. He knows what, they're, what they were saying. But he asked them a question. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Peter's like, I'm the best there is, plain and simple, right? I mean, he's the spokesman. Uh, he was up there with Jesus and saw him transfigured in all of his glory, right? Uh, like Ricky Bobby says, if you ain't first, you're last. Maybe Peter said that first. So he says, guys, what are you talking about? And they're all silent. When the kids, like, you know, do something wrong in your household, everyone gets quiet. And then they start pointing, <laughs> pointing fingers. They were ashamed of their obsession with greatness. And I love what happens. Instead of rebuking them, like, oh, you've are you kidding me? I just told you I'm going to die. And you're trying to figure out who's great among the 12 right here. You ever feel like when you mess up, you blow it, that God's just like when you come back to church or when you 
Go to your prayer closet and say, you know what, Lord, I just need to confess what a just, you know, fool I am. And it's like you're just waiting for the Lord just to wail on you. And that's not what he does when we mess up. He's compassionate. He wants to lead them to think differently and to teach them actually what it means to actually be great in the kingdom. And that's what he does with us. I want to help you be successful in matters of the kingdom instead of condemning us for our failures. He doesn't say, you know, how lame are you guys? How petty are you? He doesn't condemn ambition, by the way. He doesn't say like, oh, you shouldn't seek greatness. What he says is, let me give you a new framework to think about greatness. Let me take you on a different journey. We have an upside down kingdom, the kingdom of God is. And, and what is great in the kingdom is not great in the eyes of the world. He gives them a new paradigm to understand what true greatness is. And this is the idea. This is the, the path, if you would. The path to greatness is found in service to others. If you want to be great, Jesus says, be last of all. If you want to be great, then be the servant of all. Greatness is not found in status and how people see you and I, but in service. That's what determines greatness in God's kingdom. Now, when he talks about being last of all and servant of all, to be last is a deliberate choice. If you are the last person to be picked on your kickball team at recess, that doesn't mean you're last of all. That's just by default. They just didn't think I could be a left-footed kicker. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you're like, okay, well, I'm last of all. Again, here it goes. It's a deliberate choice to actually go, I'm not going to step into a place and actually be first. I'm going to back, back away and allow other people to actually be first. It's a humble heart, right? Seeking recognition should be foreign to um, you know, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, in essence, is what he's saying. And to be servant of, of all. To attend to the needs of others freely. Now again, in their day, greatness was seen by how many people served you. And I think that's the way it is today, right? You think about like big shots in our world and stuff. How many people are around them actually trying to, um, uh, you know, serve them and, 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 and come into their every need. You know, sort of like just you could just see great people in our day or what people call great in our day. Uh, it's about how many people are around them and trying to make them look better. But a servant, according to what God's word tells us, is someone who isn't above doing the lowliest work. And I don't care what position you ever are in this life. The story goes way back in the day at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, a young man who felt called to serve the Lord in ministry, uh, a guy named Greg Laurie, who's a pastor now down in Riverside in Orange County, and uh, uh, to the ends of the galaxy now, I think. Uh, and he went and he talked to one of the pastors and says, hey, I feel called to ministry. Like, you know, I want to do something for the Lord. And he goes, hey, follow me. And he took him to the closet and he gave him a broom and says, congratulations, you're in the ministry. I want you to sweep all the walkways. As people come to church, their feet aren't dirty and they can walk in and uh, we'd have some clean walkways. That's really the idea, man. Like to be able to go, man, I could do the lowliest work and it actually doesn't bother me. That's the attitude and the heart of a servant. Now we're coming up on a pivotal verse, chapter 10, uh, verse 45, where it says, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. The debate on who the greatest is, which is so ironic that 
Peter and James and John are having this discussion, probably because they were with Jesus on the mountain. It's like you just saw Jesus in his pre, uh, you know, coming to earth as a baby glory days, like where, where it was like a thousand bolts of lightning was just like illuminating his body and his face, Matthew says, was like shining like the sun. The greatest of all is God himself. And Jesus, as God, stepped down to, from heaven and he lived among us as an ordinary human being, and he became a servant of all. Jesus is the greatest of all. He's God, yet he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. The values, though, that they were sort of working under, uh, who's great, um, and the values that our world has, they're not the values of this kingdom. In fact, they're the complete opposite. In their day, when they would go to a worship you know, gathering or they would have a meal or something, you could look around and see who was the greatest. Well, the one who got the, the preferred place and there's, you know, seats there. There were the VIPs, if you would. Uh, they were the ones who everyone was attending to. And Jesus says, yeah, that's not what I want you to go after. I want you to be last of all. I want you to be servant of all. The world values status, position, and power. And he says, don't seek it even in the least amount to be preeminent among other people, but seeking to serve like I do, Jesus says. Think about the people that you and I meet throughout our years. Has anyone met anyone famous? You just felt like better as a human being because you met somebody famous? I mean, it, I mean, especially when you're young, right? I never forget. I mean, I met, like, I'm actually my bro- one of my brothers. Uh, he met um, uh, Pele. Uh, my brother had like, I don't know, he's in like Valley Championship or something like that. One of my brothers, Stuart, and Pele came and lifted up his arm, you know, because he played really good in that game. And my brother didn't wash his arm. He's like 10 years old. Didn't wash his arm. He'd take a bath and like, you know, keep the hand out of the water forever, right? And then probably one of my brothers went in there and go like, push it under the water. See, you're not that cool anymore. Pele, his, his you know, his, his mojo is now off of you. His magic is off of you. Uh, I remember meeting Lee Haney, greatest bodybuilder ever. Did anyone else have posters of Lee Haney? No? No one. You're like, that's the weird sport. I'll never forget actually being at Mr. Olympia about five, four years ago. Uh, it was me, my, my, some of my sons, uh, Andrew Groot was there, and, uh, and, and I'm, you know, it's like, it's in Vegas, by the way. So we're walking through the, you know, the, the place and, you know, dying of, you know, smoke. Like, none of them got COVID there because their lungs were coated very nicely from the casino air. And, uh, and so uh, my, my boys are like, yeah, come over here, right? Andrew's over there like, come over here. This is, this is, you know, Lee Haney's right over here. It's like midnight, and we go up to him like, oh, Mr. Haney, like, oh, man, we're huge fans. I met you when I was 15 years old. You probably don't remember. And we're chatting, and, and my brother, he just like, you know what? I'm going to go play some slots. Say, say a prayer for him. And, uh, and so... I, after we, you know, we'd take a picture with Lee Haney and, you know, you know, put my arm around him. It was just like, so I thought, man, I'm the, I'm one of the great ones now. Like I got to meet my hero. And uh, I, no, I mean, no joke, call my brother up. He's somewhere in the casino. I'm like, bro, you'll never guess what just happened. And before I could get the words out, he says, dude, I just won $1,800. <laughs> and I'm like, mm, okay, I think I'd rather have been with you. But anyways, <laughs> It's funny how he just sort of like, it's, and I'm not diminishing, it's special when you meet someone who's like, you know, kind of like lived at a high level that you respect. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it affects the way you and I 
and this is where Jesus pulls some examples, treat another human being, well, that's where we're, our, the pride has so tainted our perception of what true greatness is. He says, you want to be great? Last of all, servant of all. And then he grabs a kid. He grabs a child. And a child in that day was not seen very highly in that society. A child is needy, right? And they can't add any value to your life. So he takes, uh, this is one example, he takes a kid. It might have been Peter's son. And he holds him in his arm. You ever, you ever meet someone, and, and, and maybe it was a relative, and just the way they hug you is like, you know, just like, oh my gosh, I feel safe. I feel like, you know, loved. I feel cared for. My grandma was like that. My, my uh, grandmother on my mother's side, I want to be careful to speak truth here. Not so much my dad's. Uh, anyways, uh, and, and she would just hold me in her arms in her, her lazy boy, you know, recliner. And, you know, and we would just talk and we would, you know, she would tell me stories. Can you imagine Jesus, the son of God, wrapping his arms around you? One day that'll happen. And Harry is holding this kid. Again, the kids were to be seen and not heard, right, in that society. And Jesus puts him in the middle. Again, he's sitting, teaching kingdom things as a rabbi. And he says, let me, let me give an example of what it really means to be last of all and servant of all. Holds him in his arms. It's hard for us to get because kids rule our world, right? They rule your bank account. They rule your sleep, right? They, they, they are a liability. Close your ears, kid. <laughs> you know what I mean? In this day, they didn't, you know, kids weren't seen as valuable until they become an adult. Now get to work. They were an asset. Like, uh, man, I would love to grow my farm. Let's have some more kids. That's what they did, right? In our day, man, Kids aren't like seen as this, you know, uh, uh, not important, and, and I'm not suggesting that it's wrong, but, you know, uh, our kids are, are valued highly. Now, sometimes it can get a little bit out of control, right? Think of the sacrifices that people make. Because out of the love of our heart, we want to set them up for success, but sometimes it actually ends up hurting them because we want to give them the world, we would say. Uh, any teachers, any educators, right? I mean, don't you just love helicopter parents? You know what I mean? Day one, hey, I just want to know what can we do to have my, my kid, you know what I mean? Donate $20,000 to my supplies and your kid can get an A. <laughs> or snowplow parents is like, I don't want anything to put pressure on my child. They're going to do great. They're going to be a great worker one day. Keep doing that. But in their day, they couldn't contribute. They weren't revered. They were seen as property. They were a person that represented need. If you want to get ahead in life, you don't have time for a child or children because they can't benefit your goals. They can only take away. Greatness is being last, Jesus said, and serving the most. And those who need care and service the most are represented in the life of a child. Great people serve God. 
And when Jesus says, if you welcome a child in my name, you're welcoming me. And you're not just welcoming me, you're welcoming the one who sent me, the Father. He puts so much value in this needy child that represents those that are castaways, the lowly in our society, the ones that you and I just see ourselves above. Think of the storyline. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to give my life as a ransom. They're arguing about who's great. And it's not the first time and it's not the last time. The last time they have this argument is the night before Jesus dies. They're still having this debate. And he takes a kid who was seen as not a piece of property and not valued in that society and as one that was sort of shunned away. That's why they did this when the parents started bringing their kids to Jesus. And they're like, no, get your snotty, you know, you can't get a cold now. You got to get them away, you know. Get your, get your stinky kids away. Boogers everywhere and dirty faces, you know what I mean, and torn pants. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is for those who are like children. The kingdom is for the kids. He brings value. And he says, guys, you want to be great? Last of all, servant of all. And this is how it fleshes out. Welcoming those who are castaways. Welcoming those who are seen as useless. This is how you do it. You show hospitality. James, Jesus' little brother, after Mary and Joseph, after Mary gave birth to Jesus, Mary and Joseph lived as a married couple, and they had more kids. They had brothers and sisters. James is like, you know, Jesus' little bro. When you read the book of James, he doesn't even mention that. He doesn't say, like, uh, James, the favorite brother of the Son of God. <laughs> James, a servant of Jesus Christ. And in chapter 2, he just blasts the church saying, guys, you you know what it looks like to be last of all and servant of all? It means to see everyone as equal in your life. He says, let me show you what's going on that, that exposes the evil motives that you have. He says, in your congregation, a poor man comes in your, your, your gathering. And, uh, and you tell that poor man who cannot benefit your life, right? You understand that. He can't do anything to lift you up and to help you achieve greatness in life. He has nothing except need. And you tell that man, hey, you can sit back there or you can sit down here at my feet. But a rich man comes in with all of his gold and all of his stuff and you go, oh, come right over here. And they sit right here in the front. Can I get you some coffee? Do you want a donut hole? How many would you like? He says, haven't you become a judge with evil motives? Think about that in your own life. This paradigm shift. In the kingdom, every person has value. Not for what they can give you. You treat people the same, even a child, to welcome others and to serve others. That's the path to greatness. It means you show concern for them. You make time for them. You show that you care. You you demonstrate kindness to the lowly and even the forgotten ones, even the least, the child among them. Let me ask you a question. Who does that represent in your life today? I know that none of us walked in here today and sized everybody up. You know what I mean? 
You ever, you ever do that? High school, first day of school too, right? You do that? Size everybody up. Oh, look at those shoes. Those are dumb, right? Junior high, <laughs> elementary school. You know, you go to the gym, you know, kind of, uh, you know uh, on the non-treadmill side of the gym that I go to, that's where we're sizing everybody up. Me and my brother, the same one that won that 1800 bucks, we'd go to the gym. And every once in a while, and I'm 51, he's like 110 right now. He's old, way older than me. And uh, it's so funny, we'll, we'll be looking around and kind of going, these kids, man, look, they think they're so strong. I'm like, throw another plate on, you know what I mean? And we start going, you know, and then my elbow's just going, you stupid idiot, what are you doing? You're 51 years old. Like, I should be doing, you know, some stretching. I should be in the, the water aerobics class right now. <laughs> it's just, and, and it's so funny, it's so prideful. I'm going to do it again tomorrow when he gets back into town. Right? Who does that represent in your life? A coworker that you just sort of look down on, right? You know, we do this. We size people up in churches. Uh, not here. Those other jacked up churches, what are you going to deal with that actually issue in a little bit? You know what I mean? You start hearing somebody's story. And instead of actually making you go elevate them, raise them up, you take last, you become servant of all, you start hearing this is why we always try to put our best foot forward. If we were honest, we'd get up here on stage and go, hey, let me tell you all the ways I have failed in life. You know, we know that why, do we not, why are we not open? Oh, we don't want anyone to look down on us and judge us. And Jesus says, dude, that attitude of pride, thinking that you're the greatest, is what keeps you from being used by me. It means when you find out, you find out that somebody has gone through five marriages and just blown through them all, and they come in your small group, you remember those? And you go like, oh, dude, what a mess that dude's life is. You know what I mean? And you just start making these judgment calls, and it causes you to have this wrestling match internally. I'm actually greater. I haven't destroyed those parts of my life. He says, guys, there's a paradigm shift. Last of all, servant of all, and it fleshes out how you view other human beings in your life and how you try to actually come alongside them with a caring, loving, compassionate heart that we see Jesus have with these knuckleheads that are arguing about who's the greatest. Think about that. My mom used to say, I've had it up to here, and that's when we knew, just go outside and play, do something, run away, get away, <laughs> be gone for a long, long time, right? And then we'd send my oldest brother in and go, hey, go talk to her, make sure it's all safe and it's all good. <laughs> I, that's a moment that I'm just like, Jesus has got to be like, okay, guys, I'm like done. <laughs> Like, I've had it hearing you guys bicker and argue. All of us have a context in our life where we have to sort of pray and ask the Lord, how does this flesh out in our life? At home. At home. Do we assert ourselves as, and I don't care what your role is at home, father, mother, child. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Last of all, Servant of all. And I don't mean by default, 
because you're the one who has to care and love on these kids. I mean attitude. I'm actually going to serve my child. I'm going to serve my parents. I'm going to serve my spouse. Not for what they can give or reciprocate and, 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 and then to, you know, to throw back at them like, well, after all the things I've ever done, that's a great time to take out a um, chainsaw and cut those gifts with ties <laughs> attached to them, right? Your workplace. I don't care if you're an employer or an employee. Do you have a heart of a servant? Can you serve those and welcome those who are in your life, your church, your neighbors? It's an attitude that we're called to cultivate. You got to pray. I have to pray and ask God's spirit, show me what that looks like in my life and, that, and help me, Lord, to be willing and available and humble to do whatever you put on my heart this week for that coworker, that neighbor, that child that you just feel like, man, they just don't deserve it. I read one great quote that said this, the way we show our love for Jesus and the way we honor him is by loving serving and honoring the lowly and the needy around us. It's at this time, John speaks up and he says in verse 38, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus says, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the, for the one who's not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Does anybody else think that's an odd place for Mark to insert what John says in this moment? I was at lunch yesterday with uh, Nikki and Caden and Tammy, and I was just like daydreaming, lost. I know it's shocking that I have an attention issue. But there I was, and they were talking, Tammy was talking, I didn't know what they were talking about. Again, I wasn't paying attention. And all of a sudden, I just said, hey, so when are you kids coming back for Christmas? And they all just busted laughing, because I was like, the most random thing. I think that's kind of, I'm like, it's almost like John's nervous and going, okay, Peter, that was a bad time to have that conversation. Jesus, we saw a guy casting out demons, just so you know, he's not one of us. So we said, hey, you knocked that off. Here's the attitude. You guys are junior varsity. We're varsity. We got the letters, man. Right? G J C <laughs> Apostles. We're here, man. You guys aren't even with us. You haven't left your houses and done all that we've sacrificed to be a disciple of Jesus. We just saw him glorified. We saw him on that mountain glorified. So John shares his concern, but it really is a confession, and he just proves what Jesus is trying to teach them. Guys, the pride has to go. John's like, okay, so the kids are good, but these fellas that were out casting demons in your name, they're out. I wonder if it was jealousy. Remember just a few uh, verses back, Mark 9, the man brought his uh, son to Jesus so he could cast out this demon. Jesus was up on the mountain with uh, the three disciples and uh, the Mount of Transfiguration and all that did happen. They come down from the mountain. There's a bunch of commotion. <clears throat> the scribes are arguing with the disciples that were left, the nine that were left, about like, you, know, you guys don't have a power or authority to cast out demons. Look at you guys. You guys are thinking that you guys are, you know, like, you know, basically discrediting Jesus. And... Um, 
And the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? You wonder if they're a little jealous going like, these fellows are casting out devils and demons and we couldn't even cast out this demon that was, had grabbed a hold of this child. So he says, hey guys, you guys need to knock that off. You're not following us. When you and I seek to be last of all and servant of all, guess what? We won't have a cliquish mindset. Well, they're not part of us. They're not a part of our tribe. I joke about varsity and JV, but man, we get like this. Churches get like this, where we just think, like, well, we're doing it the rightest. Is that even a word? We're doing it the bestest. Have you ever been skeptical about another person that was seeking to be used by God? And you're just like going, don't even try, right? You're not. Yeah, you just don't have the stuff. Treating other believers, tearing down other churches. The disciples show that we all have this exclusive attitude with others, believers, churches, ministries. I remember back in the 90s, as part of a, a nine, yeah, 90s, I guess. Well, it's a long time ago. Um, and uh, I, remember, I remember having this, this arrogant, prideful pastor heart. The church that I was a part of, Again, I felt like, man, like we're doing it the right. I mean, what's wrong with all you guys? You know what I mean? Like we're, we're doing it the rightest. Right? You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> when we march into heaven, you know, by, like the Olympics, you know what I mean? Like everyone's, you know, no one's clapping and cheering for Ecuador. But man, when the USA gets there, it's kind of like, Wah. it doesn't matter what country you're in. And, and I remember just like thinking to myself like, like, man, we really teach the word. You know what I mean? But those churches are growing so fast. They're just feeding their church cotton candy, man. We're giving them the meat of the word of God. You ever feel like that? Anyone ever? ever any, any fellow prideful human beings among here today? We just go, I remember one church, massive church. And they were just, everyone would take a shot at them. Well, they're big because of this. They're big because of that. I remember a guy named Miles McPherson. He was a San Diego Charger. He was a pastor in San Diego. He pastors a monster church called The Rock. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Miles McPherson? He's a great pastor up there. He used to come speak for us a lot because his church was a Sunday night church only at that time. And so I got to be the host of the last of all and the servant of all because I was the lowest on the totem pole of the church. And, uh, and so we were backstage and I'm like, you know, hey, Miles, you know, do you need anything? Do you need any water, coffee? You know, anything, let me shine your halo. What do you want me to do? And uh, I remember he started telling me he just spoke at this big church uh, in another state. And I'm just like going, those guys don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. And he says, bro, let me tell you something. Gordon, he said, those guys care more about the gospel than all of us Calvary guys. And I said, he knows my name. Miles McPherson. It just kind of blew me away. I was like, well, maybe you need a different angle, Miles. I mean, isn't it crazy how we could just become so territorial? It's like John was being defensive. We're so zealous. We left all to follow you. We've sacrificed more, and we're different than them. We put a stop to them, Jesus, because they're going to affect our brand, if you would. They actually just don't do it they're not following us. 
Imagine telling others to stop setting captives free. People that were possessed by a demonic force. Hey, stop setting people free because you're not a part of our tribe. You're not with us denominationally. Your church service is a little bit different than the way we structure ours. It happens in Fresno. I got friends in town. I hear people taking pot shots at, right? Clovis Hills across the street. Sean, give, he would give us, he, he actually has offered us to use their facility as a church if Clovis Unified said, uh, you gone, right? And it's like, dude, that guy cares more about lost people than any person I know, right? Easy for people to, to target the well because they like are a monster, they have monster churches all over town. <laughs> Brad's been a friend of mine since seventh grade, eighth grade. I'm there, I remember when he came to Christ, he and I served together at FCA. Um, and, and I hear people that will talk crud about, you know, an, another church. I'm like, just because it might look and feel different, like, you don't need to take shots and tear down John, Peter, and James. That's what was happening. You can't be neutral, Jesus said. If they're casting out demons in my name, they're not going to turn around and curse me. They're bringing glory to his name, casting out demons, or if you're welcoming a child in his name or serving someone in need, it gives evidence of a humble servant heart. And then he even says, in the middle of the Middle East, he says, guys, even as small as a cup of cold water because you belong to me, that person who did that, they won't lose their reward. I think we get that in July, around 4 o'clock. Like a cup of cold water would be awesome right now. But it seems so insignificant, doesn't it? Jesus says, guys, simple, humble acts are rewarded. Relax. Anyone doing that for me, even a cold water, is going to be blessed. Celebrate the fact that I'm using other people too. This attitude of pride has got to get weeded out of their hearts if they're going to actually represent the kingdom of God in a Jesus kind of way. That prideful, arrogant part of us, if we're ever going to be used by God, has got to get weeded out the same way if we're going to represent Jesus and his kingdom to our world around us. God helped the church to see that we're all on the same team serving Jesus and trying to help set people free. I remember when uh, my buddy Brad took his sabbatical a couple years back. He and I were meeting for coffee kind of on a regular basis. And, uh, and I remember he said, he said, bro, I'm like, I think we use that word too much, Brad. Bro. He said, he said bro, we're not competing against each other on Sunday mornings or other churches. We're competing against every other distraction in our society that keeps people from coming and hearing God's word on a Sunday morning. That's the attitude that we ought to have. That's the attitude that our churches, I'm grateful in this community, have. We're on the same team. If we're last of all and servant of all, you'll never get envious of anybody else. You applaud when their success happens. You're joyful when you hear about something that goes on good in another person's life. Because you actually see yourself as last of all and servant of all. 
we should say, Lord, it's so awesome to see that you're using other churches in our community to reach people. Here's a question I want you to wrestle with. Is your life marked, is my life marked by seeking the last position and servant of all? You want to do something scary? Ask your spouse that today. (laughs) Hey, how am I doing in the servant department? And then let them talk. Are we concerned about how we're seen? Are we bothered when others don't know how much we serve and how humble we are? It's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? How aware we are of our humility. I think that that actually proves that we have pride. Paul says in Philippians, go read it later today. He says, have this same mind among yourselves as Jesus did, who became a servant of all. Sometimes I think service is really about us. Do you guys know somebody who's like that? They, they serve and it's really just about them? Go ahead and speak their name out right now. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> they don't have a servant attitude. They say, oh, I'm so humble, I'm going to serve, and it's really about me. To, be a, a, to, to, to do this, you've got to become an other-centered person. And they don't get it, and I understand that. Same here. Without the Lord's involvement in my life, the Holy Spirit convicting me of pride, convicting me of seeing myself as better than somebody else, without the Lord's presence in their lives, the Holy Spirit, when he comes into their life on the day of Pentecost, or when Jesus actually breathes on them in the Gospel of John, now they're empowered to become more and more like Jesus and actually become last of all and servant of all. And that's what they do, ultimately, as they lay their lives down in service of others. Humanity's path to greatness is found in service to others. Figure out what that looks like this week for your life. You know you're, how you're doing as a servant when somebody actually treats you like one and asks you to take care of something. Welcome all the same way, other servants as we would him. No prejudice as to who's higher or who's lower because there's nobody higher than Jesus. You treat him as if you're treating him because he's in every child of God. That's what his point is. You can't have a status conscious heart to be great in God's kingdom. The issue was the same. Jesus, John wanted to be seen as great, so they got territorial with the other disciples, and they stirred up strife among themselves, arguing again who was going to be seen as the greatest. They do it again in the upper room. And that's when Jesus does something so shocking. In the, uh, we read it in the Gospel of John. As they're bickering about who's going to be great again, Jesus does something, takes his outer garment off, and he grabs a, the servant's towel. That was reserved for the lowest servant. And he grabs a water basin and he fills it full of water and he goes one by one to the disciples and he begins to wash their feet. The most humble thing you could ever do. Can you imagine like wearing Birkenstocks around the land of Israel during those days, hot days, springtime? Just filthy, gross, toe jammy, unclipped toenails, right? Does anyone want to go to Milan Institute and learn how to do that? This is just gross, right? Feet are so disgusting in some ways. That's why you cover them. And there's the Son of God down. And he's washing their feet. He's taking that towel and he's drying it. 
It was so shocking. Peter's like, Lord, I can't let you touch my feet. And Jesus, have the, and they have this exchange that doesn't uh, fit our context in this talk right now. But he says in John 13, verse 14 through 16, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. John 10, 45, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. He becomes the ultimate servant in dying for us. You and I become the ultimate servants by living and serving others. Figure out what that looks like in your week this, this week. Ask the Lord, God, how do you want me to serve? Start at home. Worst thing in the world, especially when I was down south. I would see, I would see these guys come and just serve at the church. And then I would hear stories about what a tyrant they were at, at home, you know, being the youth director and all. You could hear the stories and be like, go home. Don't help us set up. We, it's like plagued me, a set up church. <laughs> Don't. Don't help. Go home right now. Go serve your wife. Don't come here. Don't lead a Bible study. Do nothing except figure out what that looks like at home first. Because you're just bringing a bad image to the name of Christ with your kids who watch you and how you treat your husband or your wife. Start with those closest to you. Seek to be last of all, servant of all. Again, the path to greatness in this kingdom is being of service to others. You know, one day we're going to meet the great ones in heaven. One day we're going to meet them. And guess what? You've never heard their names on earth. I think that's part of the point, isn't it? Sort of just to fly under the radar and go, who can I serve this week? How can I be a servant? God, how can I take the last position this week and bring honor and glory to your name? Let's pray. Lord, thanks once again, God, for giving us a, a, a passage of scripture that reveals to us the, um, the kinds of struggles that the disciples had internally. God, we have them too. And uh, Lord, we need you to change our hearts. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, that you would help us, God, is the, you're the ultimate servant. You'd help us, God, to take the humble position in life, to welcome others, God, to forgive us for ever looking at another human being and seeing ourselves above or below Lord, help us to lift others up, God, and those who are the ones who are the unseen. God, those who represent need, I pray that you'd give us a heart that you have, Jesus, and to go and to serve and to represent you well and your kingdom well. Lord, I pray for our households. I pray for our, my young buddies that are here this morning, my teenagers. Lord, I pray that you would help them, God, to pursue you, to want more of you, and to realize, God, that they are never more like you when they choose to see their parents and their struggles of just trying to keep everything moving. God, that they would be servants at home. They'd be servants on their teams. They'd be servants in their classrooms. They would see the one who's the unseen and the outcast, and they would actually welcome them even as they would welcome you, Jesus, on their campus or on their sport team. And I pray, God, you would help every adult here represented, God, to walk in your shoes, Jesus, and to do what you have done. God, to take the humblest place in the room 
and to choose to lift others up and to meet needs, to wash feet, and to serve others, Lord, that we might, God, be on the path to what you actually say is great in your kingdom. And Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. And I pray blessings on all of us this week, God. Cover us. Be with those who couldn't be here today, Jesus. And may we honor you, God, as we seek to be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.